retraction. Qualico makes headway on its pedway. The city plan is dead. Long live the city plan. Turns out all it took to kill a 50-year plan was $40 million for a pedway and a parking lot. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 164, where we're not the only Taproot podcast on the block this week. We have introduced a new podcast called Bloom, and it's all about innovation in the Edmonton region, which anyone who pays attention to Taproot knows we pay quite a bit of attention to what's going on in innovation. Bloom is co-hosted by Emily Rendell Watson and Faiza Ramji. So pretty much as far away from you and I, Troy, as possible, like the polar opposite, which I think is going to be great. They're both really intelligent, uh, engaged, thoughtful on this topic. And I think they're going to bring some really interesting stories about what people are doing that is innovative and also what are the sorts of challenges that innovators are facing in our city. I noticed it's called Bloom and it's about innovation. Is every title going to be a growth pun? I don't think they're going to follow <laughs> the uh, the same pattern that we did. Uh, they can figure that out for themselves. But Bloom does sort of capture that idea of what we all hope is happening in innovation in our city and in our economy, which is that it's, you know, blossoming and growing and turning into something and going in the right direction. So I guess you have to listen to the podcast to find out if that's the case. You should hope that uh, new innovations don't go up in smoke like the rapid fire segment. A city councillor has called for a clampdown on excessive noise by yelling and screaming and stomping his feet. Michael Jans, the latest in the Ben Henderson, Scott McKean, and Andrew Nack cohort to throw a tantrum about vehicle noise, knowing full well that city administrators will never create a workable solution, got media coverage this week amplifying his big baby crying like a whiner megaphone. Old Strathcona residents, represented by the councillor, were pleased, however, with one saying, quote, Motorcycles ripping past is one big loud noise, but if you have a constant din of this man-child wah-wah-wang, it sort of drowns it out like white noise. The Alberta government has put the brakes on its plan to end traffic court after it was revealed that ministers calling the police chief personally would not be a viable substitute. Said Justice Minister Casey Madu, quote, The government always does its best to implement legal workarounds for members of government and our donors. But in this case, we need to do a bit more to make sure that this change only negatively affects people we don't care about. The Stollery Children's Hospital has designated beds to be used for adult emergency overflow amid soaring COVID-19 hospitalizations. The extra beds will be used not for COVID-positive patients, but for other emergency patients displaced by surging numbers of COVID patients, many of whom are unvaccinated. Ironically, the adults acting like children are the only ones guaranteed not to be treated in a children's hospital. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. We're happy once again to have a clip here from the Edmonton Public School Board to tell you about the virtual open houses that are coming up. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs and find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Mac, this week was punctuated almost throughout the week by you sending me text messages saying some variation of, oh my God, are they seriously saying that? Uh, What was happening at council this week? I did feel like that a lot this week, yes. Well, last week we told you that 
uh, Ward O'Damon Councillor Ann Stevenson had put forward a, a notice of motion about the Pedway that's connected to the station lands project. And this week, Troy, that went to council and they had a discussion on it. And it was pretty interesting. In the end, I'll tell you what happened first and then I'll tell you how we got there. In the end, uh, her motion to cancel the funding for the Pedway, she wanted to preempt what is coming down the pipe in a borrowing bylaw and say, no, we're going to use that money for something else. It failed three to 10, uh, with only Councillor Stevenson, Councillor Wright, and Councillor Jans voting in favor of not spending $26 million on a pedway. Originally, it looked like it was going to be four votes for, but Councillor Aaron Paquette pressed the wrong button, and they had to do it again. (laughs) Uh, So Paquette's misvote notwithstanding. I got to say, when we predicted what would happen here, I think we were both on side that, yeah, this pedway is probably not happening. We were basically saying, you know, all the new councillors, yeah, sure, they'll vote against the pedway. The real question is going to be, do former councillors stick to their guns? And that turned out to be very, very much not true. But one of the incumbent councillors, Councillor Cartmel, he seemed really opposed to the idea that we would even consider discussing this. Yes. So the discussion started with Councillor Tim Cartmel basically seeking to have the motion ruled out of order. And his rationale for this was that it's a funding decision and didn't we just have budget? But the clerks assured him and the city manager assured him that, no, it's very much in order. So plan A seemed to fail for Councillor Cartmel. So he went to plan B, which was, I would, I would be insulted, Troy, if I was one of the new councillors. He proceeded to ask the mayor who indulged him to have administration represent the exact same presentation they did last summer on the Pedway because their recommendation had not changed. And he sort of asked for this, you know, without saying it, he kind of indicated that like, we have a bunch of new counselors here, you know, maybe they can't read or watch videos from past meetings. We should probably do the presentation for them again. And if I was one of the new counselors, I would have been so insulted at this point in the meeting. And this is the very beginning part of the discussion. And I've also felt bad for administration because here's Stephanie McCabe having to go through the exact same presentation that she did last summer without any new information. It was just a very, very strange way to start the discussion. And it's because Carmel didn't get what he wanted, which was to have the motion ruled out of order. One could argue that uh, relitigating the Valley Line LRT and saying we need to take this and make it a BRT after construction's already started and after budget is already passed, that might have been out of order by that same discussion point. But yet we didn't represent the entire LRT to Councillor Cartmel. No, definitely not. He won, though, um, in the end, despite any infantilization of the new councillors, he was on the prevailing side. Take us through a little bit. How was this decision made? What was the cincher? Was it just, yeah, we already started this? Or were there any compelling new arguments that counteracted the points that uh, Councillor Stevenson raised in her memo that we talked about last week? I think there were a few key criteria by which the majority of councillors made their decision. So, you know, as usual, everybody was pretty appreciative of the fact that they were able to have this discussion. Can't remember if Councillor Carmel was appreciative of it, but everybody else was. Um, But they asked administration a bunch of questions about this, and they seemed to be looking at, you know, a couple of different angles. One is, as you say, this is in progress already. And there was a, a lot of discussion about sending the right signal for investment. The phrase canceling this at the 11th hour was uttered 
more than half a dozen times. There was definitely a feeling from some of the counselors that, you know, we're way too far into this. We should keep going. Counselor Stevenson, of course, brought the motion up now because she wanted to give the developers more time if they made that decision rather than waiting until the borrowing bylaw comes forward sometime in the spring, right? She wanted to sort of have more um, notice for them in case counsel, the will of counsel, was to not go ahead with this pedway. And just to confirm some timelines here. So we've essentially told Qualico, yeah, we're probably going to build you a pedway. Councillor Stevenson brought this up to say, in advance of us actually signing the document that would distribute the money, she wanted to have the discussion about whether we would actually want to do that. But even after we signed the borrowing bylaw, this still isn't a done deal. The province still has to approve this, no? Yes, I think actually it'll come the other way. I think before we get the borrowing bylaw, we have to have the provincial approval. But those are the two things that we're waiting for still. The province to sign off on our amended CRL plan, that's what council approved last August, that basically said a pedway is now a catalyst project in the downtown CRL. The province needs to say, yes, we agree. And then uh, council needs to vote to borrow the money up front to actually build the pedway in the hopes that it will be paid back through, you know, investment growth uh, as a result of the CRL. I got to say, when I'm thinking of catalysts of downtowns, nothing, nothing strikes me as more emblematic of that than a tunnel buried in the ground. No doubt. No doubt. Well, the other criteria that seemed to come up was about what else the money might be used for. So this is you know, something I think was kind of latched onto by people in the community, maybe some advocates. They thought, oh, there might be an opportunity Instead of spending $26.5 million or whatever it is on an underground tunnel, as you say, what if we spent it on something we actually need, something like, say, affordable housing? I think the greatest irony in that is once this pedway is constructed, I guarantee you there will be numerous complaints saying, what can we do about these houseless people in the pedway? Give you a hint, it's build affordable housing. <laughs> no doubt. I kind of got into it with the mayor on Twitter about this, actually, because I was, you know, tweeting about this uh, idea that maybe we should be spending this on affordable housing. And, you know, if we can declare that a pedway, an underground tunnel is a catalyst, is going to lead to economic growth and development, surely we can make the case that an affordable housing project would do the same thing. And uh, the mayor called that misinformation. I think what he was trying to get at is that there's a difference, of course, between the operations of supportive or affordable housing and the construction of it. And to the best of our knowledge, although we'll find out more about this uh, when another report comes to council in February, to the best of our knowledge, you can't use CRL money for any sort of operations. It's only used for construction, for, for infrastructure development. So I think council could do the same thing they've done with the Pedway if they really wanted to, which is to update the CRL plan, declare that an affordable housing project is now a catalyst, and send it to the province for approval. I see no reason why they couldn't do that. Uh, it kind of derailed the conversation at council a, a little bit, and uh, and a number of the councillors kind of you know talked about how this, this isn't really an either-or. We can do both, right? We can build a pedway and also build affordable housing, which is true, but it's a bit frustrating when council has for so many years talked about the importance of affordable housing. Mayor Sohi himself has talked about how much advocacy he's done in this file. And yet here is, you know, $26 million that we could be putting toward that, that we've decided we're not going to. There was another argument that was in Councillor Stevenson's memo, which was, even if this pedway was free, we probably shouldn't build it because the city plan prescribes that we want to 
get more life onto the street and pendaways are antithetical to our design goals in the city plan. Was much hay made about that point at council? I mean, the councillors that voted in alongside Stevenson and the councillor Jans were definitely making the point that, you know, we don't seem to be getting a good return on investment here and it doesn't align with our spending priorities that we've declared elsewhere, like with the city plan. But for the most part, I think council tried to sort of frame this as supporting city plan. This is a, a master planned community from Qualico and they talked about it as infill. I guess technically it's infill, Troy, but it's not the kind of thing that comes to mind when I hear the word infill. But council kept describing this as an infill project. Therefore, it aligns with city plan. And a number of them also made the case that this is an investment in our downtown and in our Chinatown and in central communities that need investment in places that haven't had investment for a long time. And I just think that is a ridiculous argument about Chinatown because the problem with uh, the connection between downtown and Chinatown right now is that there isn't one. Qualico has been sitting on a dirt land, dirt property for 20 years. They've done nothing about it. And council has done nothing about it. And now their solution is to build a tunnel that doesn't go north to Chinatown, but goes south into downtown. This doesn't really seem like it's bringing development and investment into Chinatown so much as stratifying the border between City Hall District and Chinatown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I will grant that there is a possibility, there is the potential that this project could better integrate and uh, create better pathways between Chinatown and downtown. But do I think that's actually going to happen? Not really. Based on the evidence so far, the Royal Alberta Museum is essentially a big giant wall on the north side. And they've done nothing about the bridge that is on 97th Street or any of the other problematic parts of how we get from downtown to Chinatown. And the other thing is, council couldn't even get Qualico to do more than sign a memorandum of understanding on this project. There is no legally binding agreement in place. They didn't even require them to clean up the dirt lot and take down the fences. So I have very little faith that this project would actually turn into the positive potential that, you know, I would grant there might, that might exist. Okay. And then there's one other thing, Troy, because we've spent a lot of time on this already, but Councillor Wright, Joanne Wright, was asking administration about the public engagement that went on for this project because the report noted that there was no public engagement. So she asked administration about this and they said, that's right. There has been no public engagement, but there would be an opportunity later for public engagement. And Councillor Wright said, oh, <laughs> fantastic. Okay, so, you know, when, like, will we be able to revisit this decision that we're trying to make right now with the borrowing bylaw? And the administration said, no, construction would be well underway by then. What they meant there would be public engagement on is, you know, the look of the pedway, I guess, the kinds of tile and art that are inside the pedway, not really true public engagement on this project. When council was asking questions of administration, it really felt like city administration were employees of Qualico. I don't know if you got the same impression, but it didn't feel like council was getting non-biased, perfectly reasonable, factual responses. It felt like a very heavy slant trying to argue and convince council that they should change their viewpoint if you're Michael Jans or Ann Stevenson or... Joanne Wright. I think you're I think you've nailed it. You're absolutely right. So Council Jans actually brought this up. Uh, Stephanie McCabe, who's the deputy city manager of urban planning and economy at the city of Edmonton, she was the one doing most of the talking through this conversation. The city manager, Andre Corbold, or the lawyers would would pipe in when they needed to. But 
Stephanie McCabe, it, it fell to her to do most of the, the talking. And I definitely got that vibe. I got the vibe that Qualico is not here. She is representing the, the viewpoint of the proponent on this project, which kind of makes sense if you think that the city is on board and thinks this is a good idea. It's their recommendation to take it forward. But it definitely felt like she wasn't, you know, serving taxpayers or Edmontonians or councillors so much as the project and what administration wanted. And Councillor Jans called her out on that and basically said, you know, I can tell that administration is very passionate about this project. And then she very quickly said, no, 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 I'm not giving you anything that's biased. I'm just trying to give you the facts and make sure you understand. So she was very quick to clarify that. And then later, Councillor Paquette uh, said, point of order, Mr. Mayor, I think we should be careful about ascribing too much opinion to to what the advice is that administration is giving us. Uh, and he was like, yeah, good point. And I was like, I, I get what you're trying to do there, Councillor Paquette, but anybody who listened to that conversation would have felt like this person sounds like they work for the developer, not the city. And I think it was fine for Jans to call her out on it. I also would just like to reiterate that I think she was put into a very difficult position for this whole conversation. It must not have been a fun one for her. And she did, you know, the best that she could. She's trying to, you know, both understand what council is after as well as, uh, you know, help them get closer to a decision. But it definitely came off sounding a little bit too pushy. You know, I, you said we've been talking about this a lot, but I have to raise this other point. If I'm a developer in the city of Edmonton who's not Qualico, I've got to be pretty cheesed that my competitor just got a $26 million handout for what seems like no reason. When you have to pay for your own pedways, right? For the yeah. most part, this did come up in the meeting briefly and administration mentioned that, you know, they have paid for some pedways, but really the only ones that the city has actually funded are the Winter Garden, Ford Hall at the arena, and um, potentially a couple of the ones that go into the city tower downtown in, in Ice District. So for the most part, developers have to build their own pedways. I think you're absolutely right. If I was another developer, I'd be pretty cheesed about that. Even if you agree and buy the argument that the $26 million is a worthwhile investment to unlock this development that Qualico has on the table, there's no guarantee. There is nothing that guarantees that they're going to build the first phase, which is $180 million, or fully develop out the project, which is closer to $850 million. Aside from Qualico saying, yeah, we're going to. The same Qualico that has happily sat on a dirt lot for 20 years. So let's breeze onto other areas where we've violated the city plan and have paid a pretty penny to do so. This week, we decided to build a parking lot at the Orange Hub. The Orange Hub is the facility in West Edmonton that used to be housing McEwen, now is a general purpose space with multiple uh, tenants and vendors within, and it is a uniquely designed building. That's why they call it the Orange Hub. Council was advised against purchasing the Orange Hub in 2017 uh, against the advice of administration, but they did it anyway. And now there's a $14 million new above ground parkade that we're going to go ahead and build at Orange Hub. It's Adam Lachlan's term to say, I told you so. Uh, he said the initial recommendation from administration to not buy this building was because of the, the cost of rehab that it was going to take and the potential for future uses that could be available in the area. Namely, an LRT is going to go right by this location. The parkade that is there right now is structurally unsound. It needs to be demolished that's going to happen this year. Council was presented with some options to replace it. One option was a surface parking lot, the cheapest one. It would have been only $5 million. 
There was the Cadillac option, which is a 200 space underground parquet. That would have been 35 million. And as you might expect, council went for the one in the middle, 14 million plus or minus some percentage points for an above ground parquet. It's going to have 181 spaces for bicycles, vehicles, motorcycles. I don't know why they mention this vehicles in a three level garage. So we had an opportunity to demolish a parking lot and do something else on this property that is right next to an LRT line. And council doubled down and said, nope, we're building an above ground three level parkade. There's definitely room. If you want to make positive change in the city, get a job with city administration and be one of the three choice presenters. Like instead of choice three, the high option being a uh, underground parkade, make it a space parkade. That's going to make any other option seem better. You have so much power because council will always choose the middle option basically oh, yeah. every time. So if you make the first and last option more and more absurd, you can make council choose exactly what you want them to choose, which in this case is a uh, $14 million surface and two additional level parkades. Okay, so middle option was chosen, but did council at least attempt to improve upon this middle option in any meaningful way? We got a motion from... Drumroll, Ann Stevenson. She was busy this week. And her suggestion was that instead of spending this $14 million, maybe we can put that money aside and do some homework and see if there's another way that we could either redevelop the site or partner with somebody. Maybe we can do something mixed use that has an underground parkade, something like that. Uh, again, this is right across the street from the future Valley Line West LRT. So Councillor Andrew Knack was on board with that idea. He thought it was a great idea to look into opportunities to build the vision of city plan to actually bring it to life. And Councillors Jans and Councillor Salvador also uh, supported Ann Stevenson's motion to hold that money and do something better with it. But in the end, they lost the rest of the councillors and mayor, so he voted against it. And that means the project is going forward. One thing that's interesting about these votes that we've been talking about so far is previous councils were usually unanimous in their decisions. And when they were non-unanimous, it was like a 7-6 split or a 1-12 split. But this council, we're seeing a lot of groups of you know, division 310 in this case, or 49. One thing that is a bit surprising to me, though, is when we had talked after the election, I had been banking on more people signing up for exactly these types of motions. And one of them that has been noticeably absent from the two that I've talked about so far, which are city planning, which are reducing corporate subsidies, Erin Rutherford, where is she in all of this? Yeah, that's a good question. She didn't have a great deal to say about the Pedway, but she did talk about this Orange Hub Parkade project. And one of her reasons for uh, voting against uh, Councillor Stevenson's motion is that she didn't want to alter administration's work and the number of hours they'd put in so far. She said, quote, we cannot throw into chaos the work that's already been done. Do you know what you getting elected <laughs> over an incumbent was? <laughs> I mean, isn't your job as councillor to make good decisions for the city to go forward with what you think is in the best interests of Edmontonians? Like, who cares what kind of work administration has done? That's literally their job. She's a counselor. She gets, along with her colleagues, to direct the work of administration. This report came to council. The, the point of this whole exercise was for council to make a decision on this. Absolutely. It wasn't to say, oh, look how much work we've done. Please let us keep going. <laughs> 
I don't get it. So I'm hoping that Erin Rutherford will show up to some of these future discussions. I mean, she was very uh, spirited during the budget debate back in December, and she did have, I think, some some really strong uh, opinions that she represented very well, not about property taxes being non-regressive, but it, the rest of it was really good. And so I'm hoping that we'll see her again, but not alas on these two issues. The best gift this week gave to me, though, was these two items together, which allows me to make memes on Twitter. Uh, of course, this one this week being a tombstone with the city plan. It lasted from uh, 2021 to January of 2022, <laughs> which for these sprawling McMansion junkies, uh, I'm talking about city council, of course, that was a good sobriety period for them. So congratulations on your year of staying clean. We will miss you, city plan. <laughs> One other thing I want to talk about quickly, and I say quickly not because it is unimportant, but quickly because we know very, very little about it. <laughs> And it's the largest budget item in the city. It's the Edmonton Police Service. Back at budget time, there was a discussion at length about how we should fund the EPS. And one of the key takeaways was a proposed audit of the Edmonton Police Service. Council seemed frustrated that it didn't know how the Edmonton Police Service spends its money. So they figured, hey, you know, let's find out. Let's do an audit. This week, that audit, before it even started, died. Councillor Aaron Piquette brought forward the subsequent back in December to seek this, and he kind of made the case at the time that the decision didn't need to be made at budget time. We needed to get more information and play a little bit of a longer game. And that strategy doesn't appear to be working now, Troy. So on Monday's meeting, council uh, went into private to get legal advice on this issue. And when they came back out, they did not vote on the audit. No information was provided about when they might vote or what they were going to do about it. And there was no decision about when this might come back, if at all. Councillor Stevenson, who is one of the two councillors on the police commission, said uh, there's no immediate action that will be taken, but she kind of talked about further work and collaborating with the police commission to advance this work. And Aaron Paquette was asked by Post Media about what happened here. and And he said that, you know, we don't have an audit as planned, but a revised one may still be possible. And he suggested that doing that would require consent from the police commission to share its records and the city's legal team would need to work with the police commission before any such proposal comes back. So very, very strange, not a lot of information, but the gist of it is we're not getting a police audit. Those comments make it sound to me like a police audit is illegal. A police audit is prohibited. Some provincial regulation prevents us from performing a police audit. But we've performed police audits before. At least five times. <laughs> there have been at least five audits of the police from uh, by the city. So I, I don't really understand that uh, argument as well. Like that was a bit confusing to me why we would need to get consent from them and also advice from the legal team on this. I mean, it's a very strange situation. I don't know what has changed unless the scope of this audit it was proposed was just well beyond anything we've looked at in the past. It does remind me of the discussions I was involved in with city council when the speed limit was being debated for changes. At that point, uh, city lawyers, when they talked to city council and when they gave advice to city council, 
at times it seemed to be conflicting and erratic. I can recall at one point during council discussions, the lawyers informed city council that it would be absolutely impossible to set a default speed limit of 40 kilometers an hour. The cost would be astronomical because you would need to put a 40 kilometer hour sign on each corner and that you couldn't just sign the entrances to the neighborhood like other communities do because that would be in violation of the law. And of course, that is what we did. And I don't know, but the RCMP haven't arrested Edmonton yet. <laughs> this strikes me as it's a potential possibility. Some city lawyer has read some statute or regulation with more rigor or a particular bias or slant and has given advice that conflicts with advice that the city council got in the past. Maybe. I don't know. We don't know anything because it was all done in secret with no information given to us which is par for the course for discussions around the Edmonton Police Service. I don't know how we're going to get past this, but somehow council needs to access this information. They need to get more detail in order to make some of the big police decisions that they're going to have to make this year. Or just start cutting and slashing the budget until EPS self-audits and provides the documentation to the city of Edmonton. That's a solution. That's a strategy for sure. Speaking of strategies and bad ones, we had talked in... Geez, Mac, was it 2019? Quite a long time ago, back when Cheryl Watson was still at EEDC, which was related to Innovation Edmonton. I don't know. I, I'm lost. I've lost on my timelines. We even had a dedicated episode all about the Innovation Hub, which was a project by the city of Edmonton to put all the innovators under one roof, get some cross-pollination, a super lab for technology workers in the city of Edmonton. And it was widely, widely panned by the community, especially the startup community. Startup Edmonton was like, nah, we don't want any of this. And the city squashed the plan. So that's why it was very interesting why a new public space opened up on 10107 Jasper Avenue this year that will serve as a hub for Innovate Edmonton's operations. That sounds a lot like an innovation hub, Mac. It does sound a lot like an innovation hub. So this is slated to open later this year in the fall. Do you know, Troy, what was in 10107 Jasper Avenue most recently? Was it a spirit Halloween? It was Cheryl Watson's campaign office. <laughs> uh, that's some, um, I don't know if that's irony, but it is funny. Cheryl Watson was quite supportive and congratulatory on, on social media about this project. Innovate Edmonton is going forward, basically, uh, with not exactly an innovation hub. It's going to be their office space and event space, and it's going to have the potential to be used for some of the things that the previously proposed innovation hub will be used for. This is the RBC building on Jasper and 101. It's part of what is now becoming a little bit of an innovation district on its own because you've got the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, Amy, DeepMind, Run With It Synthetics, just won that competition for free office space in the same building. Uh, there's a bunch of tech companies and organizations kind of located all around there. So it's not surprising that they would pick a location like that. But I think the reason that this project has not been as widely panned is that the amount of work that went into choosing the location seems to be different. Whereas in the past, there wasn't much consultation and it seemed like Innovate Edmonton kind of picked their building and was going to move forward with it. In this case, Innovate Edmonton spent about five months looking at 11 different locations, and they say they engaged more than 200 members of the innovation community uh, to gather their input on the idea and what it might need. So it seems to be more positively received 
thus far. They've extended the lease at Startup Edmonton in the Mercer warehouse right now until October. And they plan, if all goes well, to move everything into this new space right in time for Edmonton Startup Week. Now, would this be moving the operations of Startup Edmonton as a whole? Refresh us. Is Startup Edmonton still owned by the city? This ownership structure has been very confusing for many years. Startup Edmonton is now owned by this Innovate Edmonton, which is a new entity, right, that was created in the last couple of years to house Edmonton's innovation organization. So Innovate Edmonton owns Startup Edmonton. Startup Edmonton operates the third floor of the Mercer Warehouse that has its own offices in there, as well as event space for the community and co-working and shared office space for startups. I understand that None of those startups are being forced to move into this new space. There's an invitation open to them from Innovate to make the move if they want. But of course, the other big change from the last time the Innovation Hub came up is the pandemic. And most of these startups and entrepreneurs have been working remotely anyway, probably has changed the equation in a lot of people's minds about how necessary all being, being all in the same space is uh, anymore. A space you might want to share with is with a little brother or sister, because we're, of course, talking about the Boys and Girls Club and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton and area, also called the BGC Bigs, and they need you now. You can consider sharing your time with a young person. They would love to hear some of your stories. Over the past year, BGC Bigs has heard from young people that having a mentor means that they are less likely to have anxiety, feel isolated, or struggle with their mental health. But there are over 600 young people waiting for a mentor in their lives today. There's currently a need for mentors in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Big Siblings program in school or for our Youth in Care program and the new PRISM program, which is supporting 2S LGBTQ plus young people. There's also a need for virtual tutors who can support young people as they transition back to school and are dealing with learning loss over the past two years. You can join BGC Bigs for virtual coffee or apply now at bgcbigs.ca or Google BGC Bigs Edmonton. I appreciate that. They, this ad has just said, you know, Google is a thing. Um, <laughs> you don't have to go to HTTPS colon slash slash www dot. Yeah, no, you don't do that. Just use the Google on the internet. That's what people do. Um, and that is something that you can teach a young person to do as their mentor. I, I don't know if that's official BGC Biggs curricula there, but I'm providing it. Mac, this ad has gone off the rails and this podcast has gone long. So let, let's just end it. Should we end it? I think we call it there. Yep. Perfect. Until next week. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're... Speaking Municipally. municipally.